Housewives super fans. Welcome back to We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We're going to tell. I'm Christy Gomez. I'm Summer Moran. I am so sorry. We are so late, Desperate Housewives super fans. Like, this is on JFK, <laughs> Joe Jonas, um, Best Buy. Who else is at fault here? These are our main culprits. Our main culprits. I feel like there's a few more. I I would say mainly JFK, JetBlue, Joe Jonas, and Best Buy. You know, I think this is the perfect introduction for you to lead with your moment of desperation because I know you want to talk about it. I don't have a moment, Summer. <laughs> the second I'm coming from you to you live from New York City right now. <laughs> Are you an Adam Driver? <laughs> <laughs> the second I got on my flat actually let's start with you summer because mine's gonna be longer so let's <laughs> let's see what you gotta say what's your moment of desperation this week i'm debating whether to talk about my mrs claus endeavor or what was truly my moment of desperation which was today now i don't want to get too graphic on this podcast we are somewhere between pg-13 and pg-15 Okay, but then you have to talk about Mrs. Claus. You can't breadcrumb. No, I, I will that. still talk about okay. it. I will, I will explain that. But that wasn't so much a moment of desperation. That was actually a moment of elation. So today, I experienced what lots of us experience once per month. And it was hard. It was hard. I started feeling a little uncomfortable about an hour before I had to leave for work. So I took a painkiller and I thought, I should be fine, that'll kick in within the hour. It did not. I arrived at work where I deal with four children between the ages of four and six. It's always these fake kids I don't believe are real. <laughs> <laughs> for two hours. And I entered the room, I gave them their snack that I give so graciously out of the goodness of my heart that they never say thank you for. And I said, guys, I'm really tired today. I'm not feeling good. They didn't need to know the details, obviously. They wouldn't understand the details if I tried to explain it. And I thought that they understood I was not doing well and that they had to be gentle with me. They did not. Um, I was on the floor in a matter of minutes. I was lying down <laughs> flat on my back. I had one Harry Potter movie on. I gave them a few sticks of clay and I said, go nuts. But they start coming over to me and like hanging on me. And uh, why are you lying on the floor? And where do you live? What's your phone number? And <laughs> do you have any more snacks? As I said in the last episode, they're always hungry. And do you know what you're having for dinner tonight? They just went nuts with questions. I, I was like, is this the Inquisition? I'm laying on my back, clearly fighting for my life. And all these kids care about is what's my social security number. I texted the person who runs the program. I said, hey, 
do you happen to have some Tylenol, Advil? I'll, I'll take pretty much anything at this point. And the woman comes into the room and she gave me a Tylenol and a cup of water, which was very kind. Uh, it did nothing. It did not work. And I'm sitting there feeling as if somebody has uh, whittled a wooden stake or, or they have a wooden stake in one hand and a rock in the other. And they're just repeatedly jabbing me in the lower abdomen and, and like scraping the rock against my insides. That's what it feels like. Nice. It was so excruciatingly painful. And then I got a symptom that I don't get very often. Do you know what that symptom was? What? Nausea. I was going to guess that. I asked the woman who runs the program to come and watch my kids. And I ran to the bathroom where I luckily did not have anything undesirable happen. But when I returned to the room, my face must have been white because the woman who runs the program looked at me and said, I think you should go home. I only had 45 minutes left of class. So that's how you know it was bad. So I called an Uber, Uber pool actually, cause they're doing that again. In this time you st called an Uber pool. It was significantly cheaper than an Uber X. <laughs> <laughs> so the driver gets me home after sitting in traffic and I could tell this man was stressed. I felt bad. He's like, you know, when your driver starts sighing and he's like stressed out. Yeah. It's scary. So he pulls up to my apartment and it's about 5.15. Mind you, I have to leave by 5.30 to get to my second job. So I come home, run up the stairs. I live in a fifth floor walk up for those who are curious and put on my heating pad for 10 minutes and race out the door. I arrived at work for the general manager to come up to me and say, where were you? What do you mean, where was I? I'm, I'm scheduled for 6 p.m. And he was like, everybody's scheduled for five o'clock. <laughs> <gasps> oh no. Now the good news is this was not my fault. This was somebody else's oversight. They told me to come at six and I should have been on the schedule for five, but all has worked out. I was not in trouble, but it was just the icing on the cake of the day. It's just one of those things. It's everything always happens at once. Like you need to yeah. lay down. And at that point you could have just not shown up. <laughs> It was quite a day, but we are nearing the end of it, and I'm ending it doing my podcast with one of my favorite people. So Wait, this was today? Me. Yeah. <gasps> That's crazy. Yeah. Well, can you just give a brief overview about Mrs. Claus? The TLDR is that Christy called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, do you want to dress up as an elf and run around New York City with my mom dressed as Mrs. Claus? <laughs> And I have a background in Elvery, so I said, why not? <laughs> they don't understand the elf lore. <laughs> like, there's so many layers to you as a Christmas elf, and it dates back to 2016. What do you not understand? It's not just the Macy's elf. Like, it is your life goal. One day you're going to be picked up from a crane like the aliens in Toy Story and brought to the real North Pole. That's what you don't well, get. I, I truly do believe that. But I don't think, <laughs> I don't 
think it's registered for me the way it's clearly registered for you. So my elf name is Marzipan. (laughs) (laughs) I can't breathe. (laughs) So this past Saturday, I was shooting something in the afternoon and I texted Christy's mom afterwards. (laughs) She told me, where to meet them. (laughs) So she says to meet them at Central Park South. She gave me an address. I said, okay, great. And then she texts me heading to Corso. And I said, okay, I look up Corso. Uh, That's a restaurant on 55th street. It's not that far from Central Park South. So I was like, great. I'm, I'm going to just go right to the restaurant. And they had gone to a restaurant earlier they had gone to Lily's Victorian so I was like oh it's kind of weird that they're going out for food and drinks again but okay and um I'm standing in front of the restaurant and your mom texts me um be there in 15 minutes and I was like okay cool I'm waiting 15 minutes go by and she says are you inside now I know that I did not see a real life Mrs. Claus and several fully grown elves walk past me <laughs> Hard to miss. <laughs> I was like, no, Mrs. Claus, I'm outside. And she goes, come inside. <laughs> she goes, Central Park South. And I was like, but you told me to, to go to Corso. Okay, fine. So I go over to uh, the address at Central Park South. And I didn't tell you this, but the second I walked in, the man at the front desk goes, <laughs> you looking for a bunch of old ladies? <laughs> Good thing my mom doesn't listen to this book. I made sure to leave that part out for her. Yeah. Yeah. So she said, we're in the bathroom, and so the guy points me to where the ladies' room is, and um, it's it's the most gorgeous bathroom you've ever seen. It's about the size of my apartment, and your mom is there. She gives me my name tag. Uh, marzipan was spelled wrong, but that's fine. And all of the <laughs> all of the other elf ladies are very nice. I get introduced to everybody, and then they start uh, practicing their dance. <laughs> into like the main lobby um for those who who have not deduced by now we're in like a very upscale establishment and so we're in the lobby i think it was candy cane who set her phone up for us to dance in front of the christmas tree now we got pretty far with this before four (laughs) girls Dressed all in black. <laughs> yeah. Four guards dressed all in black swarm us. They're on either side. There's two on either side. And one of them just like looks at, I don't know if he looked at your mom or at one of the elves and he goes. Probably could understand who the ringleader was. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, 
you can't record in here. No recording in the lobby. And we were like, <laughs> sorry, okay, okay. But we got some pretty good footage. And there was a lot more to that night and stuff that I kind of can't believe happened. But that was the gist of it. It was running around a very fine New York establishment um, making absolute mess <laughs> Christmas cheer. I cannot wait to hear the rest of this. My mom tried to tell me, but I just haven't been in the mood to talk for the past 72 hours. Yeah, tell us why you haven't been in the mood to talk. <laughs> I'm like so, I'm just angry right now. I'm upset. Um, but I can't wait to hear the rest of this. I'm a firm believer that the universe will really give you checks and balances. Like if something amazing and so fun is going to happen before that, like you're going to be put through the ringer. Um, before I came home for the holidays, you know, did I come a little bit early to go to the closing night of the Jonas Brothers tour in Brooklyn? Sure. Did it coincide with an extremely cheap flight? Of course. So it was all working out for me. So my dear, dear friend who brings me around some, sometimes she has an extra ticket for me. Sometimes she does not So she told me the day before, no ticket, buy one. I said, cool, like no problem. Grateful when I get a free ticket. So then I'm sitting in Burbank airport and she FaceTimes me. And you know, I had a huge big suitcase. I'm home for a month. So I had my big suitcase checked away. I had my tiny, tiny little blue suitcase that just had my work laptop, this laptop to do the podcast, my Barbara Streisand book, like, you know, the essentials. So I'm just sitting there ready to get on my plane and she FaceTimes me and she goes, got you a ticket. I fully expected to get a free ticket. I, I really wasn't expecting to pay when she kept saying I had to pay. I was like, I'm not opening Ticketmaster. Like I'm getting a free ticket. That was the last good thing to happen to me <laughs> for 24 hours. So right after that, I'm about to board my plane. I used my points for this flight. So I was in group B instead of F. I could have a carry on. So I'm about to board. And the flight attendant goes, that suitcase is not going to fit. I said, this is a barely a laptop fits in this suitcase. This thing is tiny. She goes, not going to fit. Go measure it. So I put it in the thing. It simply doesn't fit. She goes, we switched the, fl the planes. We have a smaller plane. <gasps> JetBlue, what? why are you going to do like a small plane where nobody can fit suitcases on a, on, on a, a cross-country flight? Like that doesn't make any sense. So I said, I have two laptops in here. I don't want to check this. And you can't check a laptop because it has a lithium battery is what I learned. I was just saying that to be annoying because I don't want to like lose my laptops. So she goes, oh, well, you can't check those anyway. So I had to take my two laptops out. Thankfully, I had like my, my nice like work bag in there. So I just put them in there. Oh, I also have tofu with me, my cat, you guys. I can't, can't believe I forgot that. So I'm hauling tofu. Now my bag with two huge laptops in it. And I hobble my way onto the flight. Thankfully, this lovely, lovely, nice couple was next to me. They were so excited to see tofu. And there was an empty seat across. So one of them like moved so we could have the middle seat so we could like spread out. That was great. Okay, I guess that was the last good thing to happen to me. So I'm so excited to just sleep on my plane, get some nice snacks. They barely have any snacks. They had no options. They just had 
a chewy granola bar and, a, and pretzels. And you know those pretzels are awful. Awful. Usually they have a selection, but just those two. So I said, all right, well, well, fine. Good thing I had a meal before this. So usually my, um, my red eye schedule that I always brag about, how I have mastered the red eye flight, I usually watch a movie until I get really, really sleepy. Then I just knock out the entire flight. So I started watching Bridget Jones Diary. I'd never seen it before. So I'm just enjoying the film. I have my little headphones in. Then I put Tofu on my lap, like in his carrier. You know, he was kind of relaxed. So I thought, I'll just unzip the bag a little, like pet him. That's what I used to do with waffles, RIP. I forget that they're not the same cat. So I unzip it a little bit. Tofu puts his head out, literally forcing himself out of the bag. Everybody around me is sleeping, thank God. They cannot see this, but he's forcing himself. And you guys, if you don't know Tofu, this will not fully register for you, but this cat is Godzilla. Like he's so strong. He could like, he could bench. Like this is a strong cat. So I had to force him back into the bag. Like with, like we were fighting, we were fully having a fight. Like he's stronger <laughs> than me. So I had to force him back in the bag and I zipped him up and he was like, <laughs> like boxing to get out. And I was like, no, no, no. So then I put him back under the seat. And in the midst of all that, somehow he broke my headphones. So then for the rest of the movie, I could only hear it out of one. So I couldn't even enjoy the rest of this film because they were all talking British. So I could, you know, I need to hear them under under both to understand these accents. Yeah, Colin Firth will do that to you. Yeah. So, and Bridget Jones. Okay, fine. Oh, it's me, Bridget Jones. I'm the father of your baby. I love Bridget. Oh, my name's Bridget Jones. I eat meat pie. Like, okay. Father. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, all of our England listeners just—they're <laughs> leaving just us. Clicked unfollow. So then I said, "Okay, fine. Time for me to sleep." They never turned off the cabin lights. These planes are usually pitch black when it's a red eye flight. They never yeah. turned off the cabin light, and if there's a little bit of light coming through, I cannot sleep. I have to be sleeping in the pitch dark. So I just didn't sleep the whole flight. Guys, it's not like I could go to sleep the next night. I had a night ahead of me. I was landing and going straight to that concert. I land. My bag was supposed to be gate checked, by the way. So I get off the plane. I'm like, hey, where's my bag? And she goes, that's going to be at the carousel. I said, you told me it was going to be gate checked. So I just rolled my eyes and hobbled, slowly hobbled my way with all these bags weighing me down. I get to the, the thing. My bags come fine. Amazing. Great. Thankfully, I didn't lose my bags. I start walking up to the air train. Recently at JFK airport, you can no longer just get an Uber right outside, which is very recent because that's what I would do. That's why I fly home. So easy. it's so easy. No. So I go up two escalators to the air train, big suitcase, small suitcase, carry on bag, tofu hobbling along at this point the I'm the big suitcase like he could like lay on so and I was just pushing it so he was having the time of his life he was just watching I get up to the air train they say air trains closed you have to get the shuttle from arrivals so I had to go all the way back down to where I started oh my god that's a long walk I was so defeated at this point it's five in the it's 5 a.m so I go back down, I see the shuttle and I go, excuse me, is this the shuttle? I need an Uber. 
And she goes, yeah, you're going to take it right here. And I said, so this is the show. <laughs> like, it just wasn't registering. Yeah. And when I get, when, when this happens to me, that I just play stupid. So at least people think I'm funny. So I'm about to get on this shuttle bus. You know, I have trauma from the New York City subway. So I think that this bus, the doors are about to close on me. So first I put tofu on the bus fearing for my life that the doors are going to close and I'm going to have to chase after him like Joey and Chandler chasing after the baby. So I put him on and I'm like quickly throw on another suitcase, throw on my big suitcase. Nobody around me is helping me. So then I get on and I immediately trip and fall on the bus. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know how I did it. My leg, I can't, my leg is fully just bruised. Oh no. I don't know what I did, but I just went, <laughs> and all these people are watching me load my cat and my three bags on the bus. And then I just, and then I just, <laughs> there goes the most annoying woman this town has ever seen. <laughs> floor one man got up he goes are you okay I was like I'm good I'm good so then I sat the bus starts moving my bags are rolling all over the place I'm just holding on to tofu just making sure he's fine and then finally I get off and there's all these families and they can just see I'm having a bad day so they all just start laughing like and I'm rolling what? all my stuff it's I think I just have a demeanor about me when I'm in a pickle and I'm just funny. So I just start rolling all my stuff and I go, I'm glad I can provide comic relief for you all as I go. I said, I'm glad I can do that for you. I'm having a horrible morning. And I just, <laughs> and I just kept walking. And then I go, where is the Uber? And they go, where's <laughs> the where is the uber we're 30 minutes in and we have not talked about this episode guys i'm so sorry um so they're like across the street up the elevator take across the street again i was like come on you guys why is it this difficult so i go across the street up the elevator across the street i finally get into a lovely uber i get home I nap for like an hour. Then it's time for me to get ready for the concert. I'm like getting ready. Fine, fine, fine. I get to the venue. Concert's amazing. Having a great time. Um, our seats were really close. And you guys don't under fully understand my lore with the Jonas Brothers. Maybe it'll be a Patreon thing. But Nick was bullying me and Jasmine the whole time. Like, I swear, he was just glaring at us. And he would, like, because we were right in front of his catwalk. And he would leave and go. And then keep going. And we were like, this is literally mean. This is, he's being mean to us. Lori, Lori, you're being mean. Yeah. But the show is great. The Jonas Brothers put on an amazing show. If any of you guys want to go to their international tour, I'll probably be there. So then the show ends. We left a couple songs early to get to the after party. And um, Nick fully watched us leave. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm leaving in the middle of your performance. But he was probably like, I know where they're going. 
there goes the most annoying women this town has ever seen. Yeah, he's like, please leave me alone. I know every time he sees us, he's like, please, I'm actually begging you. Just leave me alone. Um, So we get up. We're trying to call an Uber, trying to call an Uber. There are no Ubers around. Everybody starts coming out from the show. It was a whole thing. We couldn't get a car. So finally, you know, after sometimes like in busy areas, there's people who are like, I'm Uber, I'm Uber. Yeah, I had to call security on them when I worked at the airport. Yeah, you know what? We were so desperate. We said, let's just do it. So we got in. The guy was lovely. We were like, do you take Venmo? He goes, yeah. So we're like, sick. So we were just, <laughs> so we just got in. It was the most neat. I was like, I'm back in New York City. Yeah. Like, I was like, wow, my New Yorker personality is coming back. <laughs> I was like, all right, let's go. Because all we tried to get another one, honestly, but they're like, $150, I'll take you back to Manhattan. And we were like, we're going down the street to the Soho house. Like, no. So this guy, he was so lovely. Like, in the car, he was like, the Jonas Brothers are local boys. We love the Jonas Brothers. The tri-state oh area loves these brothers. And I see why they're amazing and so talented. So this is like Joe Jonas loves moonlighting as a dj for some reason i don't know it's like his little hobby so he does these events called cup of joe so that's what this was and at them this was not an open bar like the other ones i've been to but i didn't want to pay for a drink so the only free drinks are espresso martinis i don't drink espresso martinis because i know what they do to me but it was free and it was part of the culture so i said all right so i drank three of them that was my first mistake, and I knew what I was doing as I was doing it. Those were your first three mistakes. The party was, like, split. It was, like, kind of – it was a private party, but there was, like, a lot of random people there. So there was everybody, and then there was, like, the back area where the band, the brothers, are friends and family. And I was, of course. So once I got back there, like, I was happy. I was chill. Um, I – and then we were, like, all right. We have to talk to Nick again. Nick and I have history, so I have to talk to him or I feel awkward because he knows me. So we're like trying to talk to him and then like somebody's always getting in our way and Jinju, who's in their band, like knows Jazz and like one of Jazz's friends who works with them. She told me later that they were literally bullying us, watching us try to talk to him and just cracking up laughing because it was so funny. And I like tripped and spilled my drink a little bit before. So I went up and talked to him and we had a great conversation. Finally, he saw my real personality because I wasn't like fangirl, like, oh, like we just chatted. I was like, wow, he knows I'm funny now. Thank God. Back to the espresso martinis. I'm sorry. I'm off the beaten path right now. So I had a three espresso martinis. Then all of a sudden it's 3 a.m. And Jonas's security is like, all right, everybody, let's go. The venue's kicking us out. So we all had to leave. I was ready to keep going. I'm jet lagged. It's midnight my time and I'm extremely caffeinated, but there was nowhere else for me to go. <laughs> so I had to go home and I get home and I'm like, okay, I got to go to sleep. I got to go to sleep. So I take off all my makeup. I'm still like giggly kicking my feet from this party. And, um, and then I just get in bed and I'm, I'm just up. I'm just awake. And I'm like, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. But you know when your brain is just remembering everything that happened to you in the last few hours and just repeating things on a loop? It happens to me every so often. And especially when I am caffeinated. And it was the most miserable six hours of my life. And again, something amazing and fun happens. And it, I, it, 
it has to balance itself out with sheer misery. So I'm just laying in bed. I watch the sun rise. I check my Instagram story. Like I, I have like oh blackout curtains, God. but I just, I could see it. And I was like, all right, I guess this is it. I didn't sleep a wink, not one. I'm so sorry. That is really tough. So how many hours in total were you awake? 48. <laughs> People drinking the Panera lemonade be like. <laughs> no, I feel like I had drank the Panera lemonade. And then I just thought about my training mate instructor who told me he drinks six Celsius a day every day and I was like you don't sleep like I don't like to feel this way and then the next morning I just I took a hot shower and it, I felt amazing I felt better it stabilized you it really did like all of a sudden I was human and then I fell asleep like my eyes were heavy I knocked out at 7 p.m Mrs. Claus was out and about and we have a deadbolt that you can't lock from the outside um, I cannot believe we have not talked about the episode yet, whatever. <laughs> um, so around 10 p.m., I wake up to, like, light banging. Mrs. Claus and her elf had been locked outside for an hour because I accidentally locked that lock. And I walk out, like, I open the door, and I'm just staring like this. My mom goes, I can't believe you locked us out. We've been out here for an hour. And I just looked at her. And I and she was with her her friend Tess, candy cane and candy cane yes. And I just looked at them, and I just turned right back around and I went back in bed. I didn't say a single word. I was like, "You're not doing this to me right now. You're not." And then I slept for 15 hours, and I woke up groggy. I was like, this didn't even re refresh me, not at all. That is like. A, a catalog of desperation. I'm not even going to tell them about what Best Buy did to me and why this episode is late. Yeah, we, we have to get a move on. I have enough. <laughs> I have enough. But it's just, I can't believe it. And I just, I'm not, I'm not my sparkly self still. Well, I'll sparkle for the both of us and you can um, radiate your, your inner light. <sighs> I guess. Well, let's finally get into this episode because everybody's probably like, skip, 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 skip. <laughs> All right. So this episode is called Fear No More. This is season one, episode 20. And I just want to say before we jump into it, that this is now one of my favorite episodes. It was so good. Oh, really? Oh, I loved it. So we start off with a montage of Susan being a terrible mother and it's her as a baby falling off the couch and just simply not taking care of her kid at all. And then we get to present day with Zach throwing rocks at Julie's window, trying to wake her up. And Julie's like, oh, I want him to stop. And then Susan opens the window and Zach throws rocks in her face. It's spring, apparently, in Fairview. And I guess this technically tracks... We just had Valentine's Day in episode, I think it was 14. It's following, if we were watching this in real time, it started in the fall and ended in the spring because that's a typical TV season. Okay, okay. And um, like Mary Alice died like the day the episode premiered. When you're factoring that in and like sometimes it's not on for a few weeks. Like we're going through it week by week, but like 
it would stop for the holidays and a few other times. Like, it would be like, oh, no new episode this week. So it, it lined up. So so you mean they were trying to do it in real time with... Yes. Okay, when the episode aired. I see, I yeah, see. Yeah, that's why. In this scene, George becomes obsessed with Brie once again. There's this big purple motif I noticed. Oh. Because, yeah, yeah, the whole scene is, like, decorated um, in this lovely, like, light purple and a dark purple. And we mm-hmm. see George go up to Brie and Rex, and <laughs> Brie greets him by saying, Oh, my heavenly days, which I just thought was so charming. Brie was very mm, stupid in this episode. I'm sorry. It was a dim-witted Brie, I would it, it say. Was, it was a naivete, I, I want to say. I just didn't understand because I feel like we know she's smarter than that. So I don't know why she was acting amok. He's like, do you want to go see the flowers, whatever? And, oh, he asks how Rex's health is. And Rex yes. says that he's doubling the dose of his medicine. Very important. Roger Bart is absolutely hysterical in his delivery. And they start fighting over sort of insinuating that each other is an orchid or a weed. It was hilarious. I thought it was so well done. It was good. And then, um, and then George says with the right chemicals, you can get rid of almost anything, which was chilling. And again, like watching this so critically like that, I never would have noticed something like that. It's a, it's a bone chilling line. And I Mm -hmm. think it really just, that that's the culmination of all these little eggs that we've gotten along the mm-hmm. way until we find out what's truly happening. Right. Um, and then we get to Gabby and she's car shopping and I feel like she's car shopping in every other episode. Like yeah. she car <laughs> shops, like people go to the grocery store. Like she's always buying a new car. Gabby's groceries are cars. Yeah. Like she's anytime Carlos like messes up he's like oh here's a new car it's like you don't do you need a new like of all things a car I don't know I'm not I'm not a car gal like why like if it's a car it's a functioning car like why do you need a new car our whole conversation about the 1.6 million dollars how long it's gonna last if you only have 1.6 million dollars why are you buying like a $100,000 car like that's that's stupid. And now I no, see why she has point. no modeling money left. I thought we had such good jokes in this episode already. We were 7 minutes in. And one of my favorite moments here was Gabby just throws up in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's so non-glam for Eva Longoria and it's it's for this character in general. It's hysterical and she gets really really offended when the saleswoman at the car dealership insinuates that she's pregnant and i love how the lady wasn't like upset she threw up in the car she was just like oh you're pregnant and then gabby goes no i'm not and then she goes i don't want that car i vomited in it (laughs) somebody's gonna have to buy it it's gonna be marked down i just thought we had so many good jokes already i i was just kind of amazed by how much i was laughing out loud at this point so In the next scene, Lynette goes to Tom's office. She's bringing him a binder that he left at home. And Lynette is horrified to see that Tom is with this woman, Annabelle Foster. She never expected to see Annabelle again. Annabelle is Tom's ex. 
And it turns out that Annabelle has been working with Tom for three months, and Tom did not tell Lynette. That's bad of him. Like, why are you, why are you keeping this a secret if it's not a big deal? That's exactly it. And he knows he's in trouble. If you look at the, the expression on his face, he knows he's in for it. Do you think, is this what he was talking about when he's like, once Lynette finds out what I did? Because I think that's a fully dropped storyline. Yeah, because I can't get in my head what else that would be. I even looked up the Desperate Housewives oh. like wiki and they were like, this is just never really fully fleshed out. They just kind of drop is it, it. Is it not supposed to be like Kayla? No, because she's way later. She's like season four. So they wouldn't, that's too far back. Interesting. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess if they fully dropped the storyline, then we would have to chalk it up to being this. But this yeah. is not, this is not like earth shattering to me. Tom did no. something stupid and kind of bad, but it's not like he committed a crime like I Carlos. guess. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't communicate. Then we're at... Edie's house rebuilding which doesn't like you know it's been months and it's still a foundation no nothing's progress. been built and no progress at all <laughs> like okay you guys don't work that hard over there I see and Paul just walks over and he goes hey why'd you break into my house three weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> wait he's us covering covering <laughs> Felicity Huffman's interview <laughs> <laughs> no he is it's like she lives she's across the street like why did you wait this long and um it's a five minute interview why did we wait this long <laughs> <laughs> um and Edie sings like a canary and she's like Susan made me do it like I don't know and then Mike is listening and she goes well if I liked Susan enough and it's like yeah Susan Look what you put, look what you did. Look what you, situation you put yourself into because you just wouldn't be nice to Evie. Yes. So then Susan is at the local coffee shop when Mike enters and Susan sees him and immediately takes a seat at a table of strangers. Uh, this does not fool Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll come back later. I guess she's not here. <laughs> As if he hasn't seen the back of her head before. <laughs> How did he find her? Like, is there an air tag? What's going on? I mean, there... <laughs> 2004 air tag is crazy. <laughs> I guess there are only so many coffee shops in the neighborhood. He was bound to run into her at some point, but uh, Mike is not thrilled that Susan is still avoiding him. My only note for the rest of this scene is that they are so in love. Um, my note for this scene is he asks... He's like, why'd you break into Paul? Why did you break into Paul Young's house? Why did you do it? He saw her crawl away. Like there was that whole shot of her crawling out of <laughs> Paul Young's house. And then he immediately went over to her. Like, you didn't think about it then? When she, like, she could have like done a tuck and roll and stand up. No, she crawled all the way back to her house. Like you saw it happen. You know, when she was at Paul Young's house. Everybody in this episode is having a delayed reaction. They really are. It's like they woke up one day and they were like, oh, I need to talk about this. What happened a month ago? And then Mike was like, stay away from Paul. He's a really bad guy. And I was like, you don't know about his life. Like, wait, that was so mean. You're judging a book by its cover. 
Desperate Housewives super fans, if you are like us and you believe that Paul Young is an innocent man, you can actually purchase an innocent man buttons of Paul Young <laughs> <laughs> in our merch shop. Yeah, they're actually coming, you guys. We really have good merch and it doesn't look like clip art merch, like Summer um, posted without permission. <laughs> I didn't get consent. <laughs> So then Rex is like, Brie, you're not going out with George. He's still in love with you. And you know what? When Rex is right, he's right. These death pills are, <laughs> are giving him a chemical balance in his brain because he's being nice. Like there was like dopamine in there or something. He's like, you're not doing that. And he's also like, listen, I think we need to switch pharmacies because this guy's a freak. So he has a better judge of character than Brie, clearly. Sad to say, but it's true. My other note for this scene is that Brie looks amazing in this light blue color. And I know I talked about there being a purple motif in the first scene, but throughout this episode, I don't know if you noticed it, but a lot of the women are wearing some shade of light blue. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, Brie's is like this vibrant, like Robin's egg blue. And all of the other blues that I noticed people wearing in this episode were like, very close to that shade as well. Interesting. I wonder why, because usually that's very intentional. So Gabby is in George's pharmacy. And I really liked this scene because we didn't really yes. see much of the women connecting, but they just kind of built a bridge over it. Um, so we see Gabby at George's pharmacy and she's looking for a pregnancy test. And um, George starts bullying his employee. He's like, you're so stupid. You're such an idiot. Nobody loves you. Die ugly. Like, it was really crazy. If that wouldn't happen today, she'd go to HR. She And she should have. This is Ginger, by the way. <laughs> and when Brie comes into the pharmacy, she tells George she can't go to the expo with him after her conversation with Rex. And George covers his tracks by saying that he is in love with Ginger, the employee that he just harassed. The employee that he just said you're difficult to look at? <laughs> he just berated this woman. I and know. then pretends to be in love with her. And she's eating it up. Ginger, me too. She just, <laughs> she's just goes along with it. She goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, Ginger, you should have exposed him right then and there. Do you want to know what my note was for that moment? What? Ginger is preening. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It's like when a bird, like, <laughs> bird rearranges its feathers to, like, look good for the other bird. <laughs> I've never heard that word before. I used to be a reader. Um, yeah, so Brie and uh, George are talking about Ginger, and then you just hear Gabby in the bathroom go, Son of a bitch! And then she just walks out, so... I think we know why she's screaming in the bathroom. She is pregnant. Definitely. And we leave off with Brie giving George and Ginger the invite to Gabby's uh, going away barbecue. Like, how small is this town? Do you really have to invite your pharmacist and the stock lady? <laughs> Come on. You don't have to do that. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so then we see Tom come home. Lynette is waiting there, like, in the dark shadows. <laughs> I thought this was so 
funny. Again, I laughed out loud because Tom comes home and he's like, Lynette, Lynette. And just from the, the quiet, shadowy corner of the room, she goes, three months. <laughs> that was probably supposed to be really dramatic, too. It's hysterical. It was so funny how she started and he's like shocked. And Lynette's all mad and she wants the boss and Tom to transfer Annabelle to a different office. But he's like, nothing's going on. Who cares? <laughs> he says she stays. Yeah, he's he's very defensive of his ex. Well, I mean, he kind of wronged her, so I kind of get why. He did wrong her. After all, this is the woman who wanted to marry Tom and Tom was not about to commit. And then he decided to marry Lynette a short time later. He fell in love with Lynette and was like, I'm making this woman my my wife. Yeah, so he just felt a little guilty. Probably just wanted to do something nice for her. Um, so then Zach leaves a gift for Susan. At first, I said he's like actually really not creeping me out right now. He's like, hi, Susan. Like, I'm just really sorry. And then he goes, Julie's mother and girlfriend, Julie's mother and boyfriend just have to get along. More heavy breathing. Yeah. And Susan's like, hey, no, that's not the situation. Julie actually never wants to see you ever again. And then this kid starts having a full on meltdown. Like, what do you mean? Like fully just like flailing his arms like his having an actual tantrum. freak out having a temper tantrum and then paul from across the street calls him in like a dog he's like yeah. jack sue <laughs> jack get back inside right now and then felicia's watching the whole thing which made me think of the tiktok you posted with Felicia just eavesdropping that's literally what she was doing and he's like come on come on come on so he goes back inside and then we get a flashback to Felicia and Martha I loved this flashback I really loved seeing Martha again even though it's in the past and (laughs) they are talking about Mary Alice because Martha sees a picture and she's like oh this is my neighbor Mary Alice Young and Felicia's like, no, that's that's Angela. I worked with her in Utah. And Martha goes, don't be dense, Felicia. And they argue over who she is. But we get a lot of insight on Angela. We learn that when Felicia and Mary Alice slash Angela worked together, there was a very troubled young woman who had a young son. And Felicia sort of all but says that Zach is the young son who ended up disappearing along with Mary Alice, knee Angela, <laughs> the, the artist formerly known as Angela. But what's interesting about this is like Felicia was on their side. Like Martha was right. like, Oh, she stole a baby. And Felicia's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like this kid lucked out. Like this woman was a drug addict. So Felicia already kind of knew about this before she came on the lane. But she just, like, was letting it slide because she was like, no, they kind of did a good thing until Paul killed Martha. But, like, who can blame him? Uh, Oh, and I also said, um, I quoted uh, Felicia. She said, don't look shocked, Martha. It makes your face look fat. And I feel like the scene was very (laughs) us-coded. Which one am I? (laughs) I think you're Martha. I know. 
<laughs> like, I feel like this is us at, like, 70. I feel like I've said the phrase, don't be dense, Christy. And I feel like I've said, don't do that. Your face looks fat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. So then we get to Lynette, and she goes up to Angela, and she's just being An- Annabelle. A- Annabelle. Oh, my God. I literally wrote Angela. <laughs> Annabelle, Angela. Sorry, people. Lynette goes up to Annabelle and is like, yo, what's going on with you and Tom? And she's like, nothing. And she's like, okay, cool. And then that's kind of it. But Lynette doesn't (laughs) believe it. (laughs) Yeah, Lynette did not beat around the bush. She came right out and was like, hey, are you interested in my husband? (laughs) Communicative queen. Communicative. 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 What song is popular? So then we see Gabby go to the priest and she tells him that she's pregnant. But the second the priest looks at her, he's like, what could this be? (laughs) And Gabby's basically like, oh, don't you judge me. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, so this is what happened. I'm pregnant. I don't know who the father is. And the priest is like, "Mm, okay, well, every child's a blessing. Mm-hmm. which Gabby does not agree with, and I also do not agree with. And Gabby, it's important to note, tells the priest that she's on birth control. She fully believes that her birth control should be working as it works 99% of the time. And he says that 0.1% is God intervening. <laughs> God or Carlos. <laughs> so then we get to Lynette. She goes to see Edie. Because she's like, hey, I need to talk to you because I know you're a predator. That was hilarious. I just think it's so funny when she calls her a predator. This is like the third time she's done it. She's like, I need your advice since you're a predator. And um, Edie's basically like, when I'm threatened by another woman, I make them my best friend. Like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And Lynette goes, you don't have any female friends. That's mean. You, she's trying, you guys. And she goes, I'm never threatened by anybody. And then Lynette takes her advice. Yes. And she goes home and she sees Tom actually playing with his own baby. I wrote shocking. <laughs> For the first time ever. Lynette's like, hey, I want Annabelle to come over for dinner. And Tom's like, oh, okay, sure. Then, sad to say it. Paul and Zach are arguing again. Zach is totally, he's in his Delulu era. He is convinced that Julie wants to be with him. But Christy, did you catch Paul humbling him real quick? He wasn't being a good father. No, but it was hysterical. (laughs) He goes, what does she see in you? You're not that special, Zach. Not really. He goes, he goes, Julie's a special girl. She can have any boy she wants. And you're not special, Zach. It made me sad. I was like, don't talk to your creepy son like that. Like, Paul, you're better than that. You're doing all of this for your son. Don't be mean to him. I thought it was kind of funny. I did too. But I don't know. I was like, that's me. Like, I'm trying to defend Paul to the death. So when he says things like this, I'm like, I can't. I have a hard time because, you know, I'm not I'm not going to blindly support somebody. Right. I just support his actions for real. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah. Totally. 
But again, it's like your kid, if your kid's like a little has sociopathic tendencies, maybe you should be nice to him. And if he knows your secrets. And Zach is just like, <laughs> and he's like, Zach, you have to be careful because Susan's going to call the police and they're going to start asking questions. We have to leave in the middle of the night, basically. So I guess from the time Lynette came home and said, I want to have a dinner party and invite Annabelle, Tom must have immediately called Annabelle and said, hey, come on <laughs> over. Because the next scene is that dinner party. How is it a dinner party if you've only invited one person? Did we maybe jump to the next night? I no, don't know. that's the next scene. Because I know, but maybe like there was a little time jump where like, you know, we're not, let's just say it's the next day. So, um, so Lynette had time to get her kids to make little paintings about how much they love mommy and daddy and mommy and daddy are very much in love. <laughs> and they, Annabelle and Tom see right through it. It just, it's reeking desperation. Lynette's insecurity is showing here. Yes. It's like when you do and, something with that energy, people can see it. And come on, you cannot trust the three caballeros to help your plan along. They are hollow headed. Okay. Parker, Porter, prenup and Preston. None of them. They don't care that mommy and daddy are in love. They just no. want their snacks and to terrorize the community. <laughs> yes. That's it. If their parents got divorced, they'd say, two Christmases, more presents. That's what they would say. They wouldn't care. No. no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. They would just be excited. Be like, They would be the kids who go to school and they're like, yeah, I get the same amount of presents from my mommy and my daddy and stepmommy Annabelle. 36 for last year, last year, 37. <laughs> <laughs> Susan goes to take out the trash in the next scene and Paul sort of approaches her from behind. He jump scares her and she's like, fully, oh. he apparated there. <laughs> <laughs> like, she, <laughs> like she's standing there and he's just like, hi, Susan. <laughs> Paul was working overtime. This, really this episode to not look good. <laughs> but then, so. but then he goes, I heard you broke into my house. And she goes, yeah, I did. He goes, I don't care about that. He's like totally willing to let that go. He's like, I'm not pressing a single charge. What do you want to know about Angela? Yeah. He's like, it's okay. You're fine. But it was just so funny. Heard you broke into my house. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's so funny. And then he invites her in. He makes her some tea and lies again. <laughs> he, when he's given time, he's an amazing liar. Like he can't lie on the spot. But, you know, when he has, like, a day or two to think about it. But it's getting to the point where, like, his lies are a little bit too, like, this one is a little bit too much. It's like, oh, yeah, that was her original name. And then she got into a fight with Angela, the aunt she was named after. And then she had to change it. It's like that just, you know, the schizophrenic letters. Why didn't you just say it was, like, her second personality or something and stick with the crazy? <laughs> Yeah, sweet, sweet Paul. He's just a storyteller at heart. And I think he kind of can't help himself because once he gets into the story, he's in it. He's just locked in his web of lies. So then Susan is like, okay, pretending she's buying the story about Angela. And then she's like, 
can I see the tape about with, it would be really nice to see Mary Alice again. And Paul's like, no, I threw it in the trash. Stay away from my family. And he was right to say it. Like, just leave it alone. Susan, it's not your business. Susan's nosy. I think that's why Hannah kins Susan. <gasps> yes. Okay. That's why she has the Susan and the Martha Hoover. Right. Because I was going to say, we, we keep giving nosy to Martha Hoover, but like Susan's not that much better. No, she's not. She's just more demure about it. Yes. Now we're back to Lynette and Tom. Tom is insulted by Lynette's actions and he's basically like you don't trust me and it felt very gaslighty to me which I did not like true but also Doug Savant does this thing with Tom when he's acting is like when he's upset he gets like this icy look in his eyes I wrote and I love it yes and he he's done it so many times like every single time because Tom is usually like golden retriever, retriever, like super bubbly. But every time he's upset, like he's just like, Lynette, why did you do that? Why don't you trust me? It's just, it's just a fascinating little acting tidbit. I want to go to the Doug Savant School of Acting. I think this was another scene where Lynette might have been wearing that light blue that I was talking about because my mm-hmm. note says everyone is wearing blue this episode. <laughs> And Tom is just saying that he's, like, super insulted and everything. And I was on his side a little bit because that is, like, you should be able to trust your partner. So I just think that that is very, I don't know, like, it's just, like, a huge thing to do when somebody's reassuring you, reassuring you nothing's happening and hasn't really given you a reason other than not telling you. Yeah, but I think the not telling is very telling. It's, like, if you had nothing to hide – you should have been able to mention when Annabelle arrived, hey, by the way, she's working with us now. I guess, but to go through all these great lengths when you were the one that stole him away. Like, just leave it alone. I think that's why I can't fully be on Lynette's side because she was the other woman and now she's like, I hate this lady. It's like, no, you did this. Do you think Lynette stole him away or do you think Tom fell for Lynette's ambitious nature and jumped. I think it takes two to tango. That's fair. Mm-hmm. That's fair. They're both in the wrong, I fear. Okay, so then after they're talking about this, also, Annabelle's fully just in the other room. If I were her, I'd be listening. She's oh, on the phone she with- was there? Yeah, she's still there. She was on the phone. She took a call from Peterson. Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> And, um, so then she comes back in and she's like, oh my God, the account got deleted. We have to start it all over. And as a girlie with a nine to five job, um, this happens in media a lot, but I can't imagine any job when they're just like, uh, I'm worrying about that on on Monday. Like nobody, they never actually make you stay late. I just thought that was interesting. Cause I thought the corporate world was going to be like that. It's just not, um, that's and a great like, point. Yeah. Like nobody's ever going to be like, you have to come back from your dinner right now on a Friday night and come back to the office and redo this. Like, no, they would just be like, we have to redo this on Monday or like maybe take Sunday to do it or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I just thought that was funny. Um, but then Tom's like, 
I've been drinking. I can't drive. And she goes, I got it. Like, let's go. But not before he told Lynette, if you act like this, you're going to force me to cheat. And that was kind of bad. That was really bad. That was when I could be on his side no longer. Tom should stop saying what he's thinking. Yeah. Do you remember the episode where I was saying the moral of this story is always lie? Yes. The only person who's gotten that memo is Paul Young. (laughs) That's because he's a perfect person and doesn't actually (laughs) – like, listen, he makes little minor mistakes – but he's so smart and talented. I cannot wait to see you sporting the Paul is innocent buttons. I want a t-shirt. I want a button. I want a sweatshirt. I want a sticker for my computer. Get stickers too. We can do Paul's that. innocent stickers. Yeah. So then we get to what you were saying, Summer, the event we've all been waiting for. And it's Carlos is going to jail party. Gabby is standing at the grill trying to help barbecue and she suddenly gets nauseated again. Uh, My other note is that the colors are so pretty and fun in this scene. What I was thinking about this scene is this tweet I read a long time ago, which was like, what is like trashy for poor people and like kind of chic for rich people. And this is one of them, but it's like this man's going to jail. And if you're driving through, you know, a low-income neighborhood and you saw this happen, you'd be like, oh, my God, that's so – like, these same people would be judging a backyard lowbrow barbecue about somebody going to jail the next day. (laughs) Lowbrow is crazy. (laughs) But they're all like, we're going to miss you so much, Carlos. Have a good time in jail. What has Carlos – ever done for the community i don't think anything i didn't even really think he was friends with any of his neighbors except (laughs) rex and brie he just doesn't seem like the type to like gabby's like oh my god i'm going out with the girls and he goes okay i never want to see any of them here in this house don't give them my best exactly but despite this he gets everybody's attention he makes his speech about his going away (laughs) on on a government sponsored vacation and that's when paul and zach show up it appears a little bit not not particularly uninvited but susan and julie are not eager to see them and that's when gabby runs away to go puke i just love the dynamic of susan julie paul zach i don't know why it's like giving it's just giving broken family to me I was going to say they are a modern American family. Yeah, it's like, it's just so interesting to me. Uh, But also, it's like, this man's going to jail, and Paul Young, whose wife just committed suicide, is the biggest villain here. Carlos employed slave labor. I think that's worse than killing an annoying woman. (laughs) (laughs) Bettering the community. You know... Paul Young has done arguably more for Fairview than Carlos Solis. And George shows up and brings Ginger, who he starts bullying again. Yeah, I wrote George is mean to her again. <laughs> She's like, I was supposed to go to my cousin's wedding today. And he's like, it's a commitment ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> he said he hates the LGBTs. No wonder he hates Rex, because Rex loves gays. 
<laughs> they're on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Yeah. We're going to get a cease and desist from Mark Terry, and he's going to be like, <laughs> stop adding backstory to my characters. He's like, do whatever you want, but not that. <laughs> stop adding and stop saying it's canon. Stop, <laughs> stop, stop. But it is canon. Yeah, because we said it. Also, what's canon is Gabby heaving over the sink. She has such a nice bathroom. Oh, yeah, because she runs into the bathroom, grabs champagne from Sophie. And she's like, hey, hey, what are you doing that for? And then she just goes in, starts dry heaving. Sophie was annoying this episode. <laughs> That's the only line she had. <laughs> then Zach goes and gets Julia a hot dog and he is trying to get her attention and get love from her. And she's just not reciprocating at all. She's like, Zach, I actually don't want to see you ever again. I don't want to talk to you again. I don't want to do anything with you. And I don't want to be your girlfriend. And he's like, so hurt. <laughs> he doesn't get it. He's like, what do you mean? Everybody's told you that, my man. Like, everybody. Your <laughs> dad told you crazy. that. <laughs> Your dad said explicitly, no holds barred, you're not special. You know what? I take it back. Paul was right because sometimes, <laughs> kid, you just, somebody doesn't get it and you just need to give them tough love. And just lay it out for them. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, I, I certainly know. It's almost like, and and to borrow a phrase from somebody who is uh, currently pretty hated on the internet, he needed to be served a slice of humble pie the size of the Empire State Building. Who said that? Shane Dawson about James oh, Charles. Oh, you used to love Shane Dawson. I loved him. Yeah. You were a stan. He he was my comfort YouTuber for a long time. It was during the 2017-ish time when he was just making content of eating ridiculous food. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first YouTubers in the world, really. Yep. Him, Trish. They were all Tr in a league of their own. They were. Now none of them are cool except Trish. No. So Gabby's in the bathroom. She is really frustrated with her pills. She's like banging the pills on the sink. And then she finds that her birth control has been tampered with. And she is filled with rage. Filled frightening. with rage. And you see her like about to drown the child and drink champagne. And then she goes, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Might as well accept that I'm having a baby. She should have done it. And then we get back to the party. And this is just so, I love scenes like this when it's just like an ensemble cast. And it's just like, short bits of like one thing happening after another Bree he's like no this is my girlfriend and Bree's like look this is great they're in love and Rex is like you've got to be kidding me like how do you believe this yeah so George spills his drink on Rex they are beefing and even though it was an accident Rex is pressured to apologize but instead he pushes George into the pool and George pulls Bree down along with him <laughs> I always wonder how you shoot scenes like that because like, they can only really do it once, and then they have to just go dry off and then get perfect again. Like, it's really one shot. I feel like that's got to be the last thing you do in a day. But yeah. it was also daytime, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it could have been an early shoot or something. Anybody's listening who is on this episode, can you please give us a production schedule? Because we're now curious. 
Yes, I want the call sheet from that very day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then Gabby runs out with her birth control and she goes, Carlos, I'm pregnant and it's all your fault. And he just smiles. And it's just so funny because that could mean, you know, the normal, the normal way of getting pregnant. And then Edie just goes, they sure do not know how to throw a party. Gabby runs out of the party and Susan goes out after her and she's like, are you okay? And obviously Gabby's like, no. And she confesses that she doesn't know who the father is. And Susan is sort of, I don't think she's trying to be judgmental, but she is a little bit admonishing when she's like, you're still hooking up with John Rowland? And right as that happens, there's an explosion. And what happens, Christy? Susan's house fully blows up. Like, how could this day get any worse? With the worst CGI I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Honestly, I thought for the time it was pretty good. Honestly, yeah, you're right. For 2004 network TV budget, wasn't that bad, I guess. Susan is flipping out. She's like, oh my God, my house, this is my house. My house is up in flames. My house is on fire. And now she knows how Edie felt. Yeah. It's just your kitchen, Susan, not your entire house. So, but again, she doesn't think about other people. So she just thought about her house, her house, her house, her house. And then they cut to Susan's burnt kitchen. The fire department's there and they're like, okay, it looks like somebody left the gas on. Been there, done that. And there was a candle <laughs> burning. How I told them about this? Ugh, I'm not getting into it. I did it once, twice, three times in a year. They think it's Sophie's fault. But then you just see Paul from across the street staring, looking like a mafia, like he's fully in the mafia. He is looking so creepily yeah. and not even trying to hide it. It's like he took a note from his son. I personally think that he was just watching what was going on and had nothing to do with it. But they want viewers to think otherwise. Like, if the house is out in the open, you would have seen him go in there and light a, and turn the gas on. Somebody would have noticed that. For sure. And then Brie goes back to the pharmacy the next day to talk to George. She apologizes for what happened. Um, Brie's wearing white. George is obviously wearing white because he's got the lab coat on. And there's a lot of white in this scene. I was mm. like, are they in heaven? <laughs> like <laughs> They drowned. <laughs> it's canon that they drown <laughs> the rest of it is just like purgatory for Brie the whole rest of the show <laughs> oh that would make a lot of sense and um they're just chatting and I don't remember what they chatted about to be honest I don't either um my notes always kind of get bad when I see the episode is like ending when it just becomes like monologue um but she's like Oh, she says she wants to be his friend in secret. That's what the conversation yes. is. Yes. Which is just like, come on, Lee. Come on. Come on. And she kind of treats him like a kid. She goes, we can still be friends. Don't worry. Like, It's like, is she okay. going to give him a lollipop? Yeah. Like, it's kind of giving... Your, your mom told me to stay away from you, but we can be friends and not tell her. Like, that's kind of the energy I was getting from Brie a little. No, I I totally hear you. <laughs> um, Susan's going through the phone book, and that is 
fully the Beverly Hills phone book, by the way. It is. That is the Beverly Hills Police Department on the cover of the phone book. Wait, how do you know that? Because the Beverly Hills Police Department is like a landmark. It's very obviously what it is. I was like, wow, they didn't even try. It's like, come on. Wait, so put what some does that generic mean? building on there. I think it just means that the set decorators were just, or the props team was like, we need a phone book. And somebody just threw them the Beverly Hills one and they said, nobody will notice. But I did. As a resident of California, that's something you're a little more familiar with than I am, obviously. But I just pointed out that the fact that she's looking through a phone book dates this show so much. Definitely. I know now she would just look up detective near me. But it's a better visual seeing somebody go through a phone book than scrolling on their phone. Definitely. And she settles on the Haft's detective agency. I just wrote that I love when the mystery plot thickens and I love a voiceover. So we start in that scene where she's talking to the detective, but it's in voiceover and then it cuts to the present scene. And we find out that the detective she hired was the exact same one. Cause I guess there's only, they both, you know, it's both a Paul and Susan thing to do to pick the very first detective number one in the phone book. So it's the one that, he hired to kill Edie. So he's like, oh, I have no alliances. I know how to handle this. Yup, it's chilling. It's so well done. I did see it coming, obviously, because I've seen this show before, but also just as a writer, it's like, that's what has to happen. Mm-hmm. No, it's like a perfect, you bring, oh, call back, call back. Um, then, and then there's just like a monologue of Mary Alice talking about like you know how they're I guess the theme here was fear and again for writing I am taking this now and putting it in the back of my head like giving every character like a the same theme for a plot line do all shows do this or am I just stupid have I never noticed this before no I think all shows don't do this but the ones that do it well are the ones that make the most impact no it was it's so it's just all about them being spooked. And then the last shot is something I never noticed before. And it's Zach shaking in his bed. And he has a, a shrine of Julie. Yep. And then we cut to blackout. But that, like, freaked me out. And, and it's he's all promo just, photos. The fact that he's sitting there just lighting his little lighter and, like, his eyes are going over to the Julie shrine every couple seconds. Oof. Wait, he had a lighter? Yeah. Oh. <gasps> yeah. So he did it. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't notice that. That's so obscure. Demure. <laughs> I love that word. Um, that's not the right word. I'm so tired. It's okay. Uh, this was a great episode in my opinion. You need to go get some sleep as do I. I. Do. So let's just say a big old thank you to all of our listeners for joining us today. You know where our socials are. We are going to tell their links. Um, merch is really coming soon. We just need to figure a couple financial things out. And then it'll be coming to you very shortly. But we're really excited. Imagine when we're if we just see a we're going to tell tote bag in the wild one day. I'd freak out. Hey, do you want a picture with us? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we do the podcast. They're what like, podcast? this is my roommate's. <laughs> this is my roommate's. <laughs> I don't 
has been a pleasure as usual. As per usual. Okay, guys, until next week, this has been We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. We going to tell. Okay, bye, bye, bye.